0: By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her womb, may the peace of the goddess be forever in your heart. The circle is open but un. Can merry meet and merry part By the earth that is her body By the air that is her breath By the fire that is her bright spirit By the living waters of her
1: womb Well, good evening and welcome, friends, uh, fans, colleagues, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I am broadcasting across the globe uh, for the last eight years now. I am your host, Karen Tate, and it is my pleasure to be bringing you this show. And I thank you for all uh, all for listening, for sending your show ideas for your comments, and uh, I really do appreciate your monetary support to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. Uh, That uh, cut opening tonight's show was a new piece by Elaine Silver called By the Earth. And I am very excited to be kicking off Feminist Fairy Tale and Goddess Mythology Month for tonight and the next few weeks, uh, inspired by movies like Maleficent, Avatar, Brave, frozen? I thought we should get back to the oldies but goodies and give them a second look. What do they teach us? Let's get around to giving ourselves permission to make our own interpretations and provide the female gender with new stories instead of just the patriarchal ones that spawn male authority, domination, and leadership that make Hera that petulant, terrible, nagging wife. So tonight, after our current resident astrologer, Kathy Pagano, gives us the cosmic story what those celestial bodies have cooked up for us in the month of October, we'll get to foremother Charlene Spretnak and discuss some of the pre-patriarchal, pre-classical myths of Greece from her older book, Lost Goddesses of Early Greece. And after my chat with Charlene, please plan to sit back with a cup of tea or a glass of wine and I'll read you a few of those myths and give you some of my interpretations right on the spot, off the top of my head, about what the myth might be saying to us, what it's teaching humanity or women. Then next week, uh, as part of this uh, Feminist Fairy Tale and Goddess Mythology Month, uh, I'll have part two, and with me is Barbara Walker, and I'll be referring to her book, Feminist Fairy Tales, and uh, I'll actually be reading a story or two from that as well. Then in our next week, uh, Lenny Shear is with me. Uh, Lenny is the late Merlin Stone's lifelong partner. Lenny has a book coming out about their lives together and it is my pleasure to have him on the show to discuss Merlin's work uh, when uh, God was a woman primarily because she and Rihanna Eisler were two of the most instrumental foremothers that actually led me down this path. So I'm excited to be bringing you uh, these next few shows and uh, a bit more, but that's uh, maybe be enough of a tease i think and moving on to another subject oh my goddess please make sure you look at my karen tate facebook page uh the last few days we have been adding pictures and video from the big book launch party for the new anthology voices of the sacred feminine based on this show which we had last saturday at the goddess temple in Irvine, which is in Southern California, it was a smashing success. There's already some uh, video there. As I said, you can see uh, Maria Lavetti, one of the sacred dancers, but um, and, and there's lots of great images. So enjoy it. And if you're interested, you can pre-order Voices of the Sacred Feminine at a discount from Amazon now. Though, uh, if you just in case you don't know, Amazon actually keeps 70% of author profits leaving 30% for the authors and who has to share that with the publisher. I bet you didn't know how they gouge authors so much. You can also get the book directly from me, however, from my website, if you're in the United States, rather than wait until it's mailed out from Amazon, which would probably be around Thanksgiving or early December. And uh, some of my guests. Uh, like uh, Charlene Spretnack and Barbara Walker who are back with me again tonight and next week uh, uh, as well as Noam Chomsky, Laura Flanders of Grit TV, Gloria Felt of Planned Parenthood, other feminist scholars and visionaries such as Rianne Eisler, Jean Shinoda Bowen, Phyllis Chesler, Just to name a few of uh, my wonderful former radio show guests are all included in that anthology. There are about 40 contributors, and their essays take our interview uh, that's here, still in the archives, to the next level. So it complements what you can hear um, from them here. So please check it out. And just real quick, before we get to Kathy, I have to uh, shout out to Chris and thank her for her nice email. She wrote me and said, I just listened to your interview with Sally Roche Wagner on the Iroquois influence on women's rights and other important things, and I really enjoyed it. Once again, I was impressed with your interviewing skills. You'd done your homework, were familiar with the subject, so you were able to ask cogent questions. Also, unlike so many other interviewers, you took your time and weren't hurrying to jump in with the next question before the guest was even finished. One of my pet peeves. And my cat sat on the arm of the couch next to me purring while we listened and learned. What a nice way to spend an hour. And I'll try to get your book on Amazon. The lineup of contributors is impressive. Keep up the good work. Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, sending that nice note. It makes a difference to me knowing that what I'm doing here is appreciated. So, uh, before we, uh, you know, waste any more time here, uh, let's go ahead and uh, say hello to Kathy. Hey, Kathy, how are you tonight?
2: Great. It's very nice. It's nice and cool. It's finally autumn here, and um, so I'm happy. How are you, Karen?
1: Well, you know, I was surprised to hear you say you're nice and cool in the desert. We're having a heat wave here on the beach And I figured you were probably sweltering worse than us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) For a few days, it's only been in the 70s, so I I bless the goddess. I am grateful to the goddess for that. It will probably go up again, but for now it's beautiful. Good,
1: good. Well, enjoy it while you can. Um, So, Kathy, what is going to be happening in October? I know you were just telling me before we went on the air, we're about to hit a Mercury retrograde, and I think you said there's an eclipse. So uh, why don't you go ahead and fill us in.
2: Okay. Well, October, I don't know if um, your August and September was quiet, but October is another change month. Um, the first change that's coming along, which I think people probably are already experiencing, is Mercury is about to go retrograde on Saturday morning. And uh, is there, you know, um, there's we call um, a shadow, we say there's the shadow period. Because mercury um, goes up to a certain degree and then it backs up to a it backs back down to another degree. So when it first hits that degree, that that original back up degree, things start to um, get messed up, if you will. So um, everybody has been telling me about different snafus. We, we had to um, push the ch- this show to tonight because Charlene's phone didn't have a phone. Yeah, uh, Charlotte.
1: Yeah, the AT and T didn't get out to fix her phone. So if any of the listeners were wondering where we were last night, um, that's why we pushed it back a week. uh, A a week pushed it back a day. (laughs) There we go. Mercury retrograde's got my tongue.
2: Right, and then I and then I had trouble with my computer, and when I and I played around with it for twenty minutes for a whole evening. And the plug had come unplugged, but I didn't notice it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's Mercury retrograde. But anyway, Mercury is in Scorpio right now, and Mercury represents the mind. And because Mercury, the planet, is between the Earth and the sun, it doesn't get very far away from the sun, and that's why we experience three retrogrades a year, because even though it doesn't really go backwards from Earth's point of view, planets go backwards. And so our orbit keeps passing it, and then it has to catch up. So um, when Mercury is in Scorpio, it's about digging deep. Scorpio is a water sign. Um, It's a fixed water sign, and it deals with old emotional um, hurts, like betrayal and fear and terror and mistrust and jealousy, all of the dark emotions. And we say Scorpios, people who are born as Scorpios, they've come in this lifetime to flush out their emotional system, if you will, from many lifetimes. And so for all of us, we've been dealing with a lot of Scorpionic energy because the planet Saturn has been in Scorpio for the last two years, and Saturn is the tester. Saturn says, pay attention to this. So for all of you out there, if you've been dealing with relationship issues, emotional intimacy issues, this is Saturn at work within all of us. And so now Mercury is going into Scorpio, but it's stopping at about three degrees, and it's backing up back up into Libra. And so um, with, this, with the Mercury retrograde, we always say it's time to remember or redo, to recheck things. If you're going on a, a, a trip, check the roads, check your flight. Um, it has to do with technological snafus. Um, but, but just psychologically, right now, Scorpio... Um, and Libra have to do with how we communicate in our relationships. So if you've been needing to have a talk with someone and you've been putting it off, now is a good time to do it. Um, when it, when um, I think it's um, on the 10th of October, it it moves back into Libra and it will be a little less intense. So you might want to wait and think about uh, what you're feeling, and then maybe when it hits. Goes back into Libra, which is an air sign. It might be a little bit easier to communicate the things you're feeling in your heart to the people you need to say them to. But Scorpio re- requires absolute honesty. Otherwise, we project <laughs> onto people all of our issues. And um, the goal of Scorpio is that total emotional honesty. So um, this Mercury retrograde is trying to bring us up to snuff with that kind of truth, if you will.
1: So, Kathy, Uh, let me ask you, um, you know, for me it's always easier to understand this stuff if I can sort of maybe make a comparison to what you're saying and what we're seeing going on out in the world. Is there anything going on, I mean, like maybe the NFL thing with the domestic violence or this, new war with ISIS, Uh, could, you know, any of that be a reflection of this?
2: Of course. First of all, astrology really speaks to the world at large, and so we can look at it on a personal level, which I always feel like is important, because if we create consciousness in ourselves, we create light in the world, but... um, On the the bigger scale, yes, it reflects what's going on. Like when Obamacare came out last year, they did it during a mercury retrograde in Scorpio. How did they really expect anything to go smoothly? Because Scorpio is also about deviousness, just as much as it's about um, getting to the ultimate truth, it's also about being sly and a bit devious. And so, you know, somebody could have hacked the system. We don't know what happened, but... Um it was just a stupid time for them to put it out last year. So you know what can can I
1: interrupt you? Can I interrupt you a minute um uh, that just made me think about something um we all h- heard when Reagan was in office uh his wife Nancy had a White House astrologer and didn't let him make a move without consulting the astrologer. It just occurred to me his legacy. I mean, he's like a god to some of these people. He was like Teflon; nothing stuck to him. Iran Contra, you know, destruction of the social social safety net, destruction of uh, the labor unions. I mean, all the different stuff he did. You know, it's it's occurred to me maybe this was you know he he so carefully plotted thanks to his wife and the astrology, maybe that's why his legacy is what it is yes. any thoughts about
2: that well you know most in ancient times the king was the one who used astrologers in when if we take if we look back into the history of astrology, we first hear about it in Sumeria, in ancient Sumeria and babylon and um and it was mostly for the king. Or the ruler, if you will, um people didn't do personal horoscopes until the um Greeks until the time of the Greeks and then the Romans, and so um yeah and and the smart thing would be, and I think that some of them some of the powers that be do use astrology um but but the smart way to go about it is to work with the energy now you can work with them for whatever you believe, like Reagan believes in. Very conservative, right wing. It's all about the individual and the rich people kind of way. Just as someone who was more left wing and liberal, and for the people who could use astrology to work it that way. It's um, just like dream work. It's it's um, a neutral. It's a neutral energy, it's, and it's how you use it, whether it turns to the good or the bad. Okay. So most definitely. And it's very interesting when you say ISIS. I wrote a little article about that it was titled "ISIS Is a Goddess and Not a Terrorist Organization," <laughs> um, <laughs> because that's the other thing that patriarchy does: it, it misuses symbols and it uses it to twist it. And I heard Bill Maher say ISIS is evil, and it broke my heart because ISIS is a goddess. And, I know. Um, I heard that him. Terrorist group. That terrorist group can be called a, a, any number of things but the fact that the media has used the name the initials Isis more than anything else is another indication of how patriarchy can twist um things and in the same way Reagan could twist astrology not twist astrology but use astrology for his own purposes
1: right 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 okay so yeah so yeah so anyway, I mean, so- I I didn't mean it. I I know I sort of uh, interrupted okay. you mid flow there with that, but um so so go go ahead and you know uh, where were you going with this? I know you were saying about the Mercury retrograde. I know we got the okay, eclipse. Okay, so then. Mercury
2: retrograde. So for this month, it's all you know things aren't going to necessarily move ahead, but it's a real good time to reorganize your thoughts and rethink your plans. And um, but. The most important thing about this month is there are two eclipses, and eclipses always bring about change. Eclipses occur um, when the sun, the moon, and the earth line up, and so every year um, that happens in a different part of the sky, so we say it happens in a different zodiac sign, and And you have um, eclipses either on the north node, which is where we have to learn to go, the new place. We have to put our direction to evolve. And then the south node is the old place. So right now, the north node of the moon is in Libra, and the south node is in Aries. It's saying it's time to get over with that rugged individualism that America was built on, that patriarchy thrives on, and um, learn about cooperation, the Libra side of it. Um, we still have to have the bravery and courage of Aries, but we have to bring it into relationship with how we deal with other people and so, um this eclipse is the total eclipse of the moon, and it can be seen in western and mid um the mid section of America and the western part as well as asia. Um, the eastern part of America it's going to start to be dawn as it ends, and so um, as it begins, so they might not see it as well.
1: And Which, um, what, what was the what was the date of that, Kathy?
2: It's next Wednesday, October eighth at night. Okay. Okay, and um, in my newsletter, if you go to my website um, wisdom dash astrology dot com, there'll be a link on the front page to to it, and I'll describe it more. But um, but anyway. Um, the eclipses always bring about change, and um, and the interesting thing about this eclipse is it's part of that ongoing Pluto Uranus square, which is from the 60s. Back in the 60s, they were they began a new cycle, and now we're at the fourth quarter of that cycle, which is which is bringing up all the same issues as in the 60s, and you can see it in the revolutions that are going on around the world and in our own country. And um, all the issues about women's rights, workers' rights, food, the planet, all of the things that began in the 60s are back up because they haven't been resolved. So this full moon eclipse is right on, um, It is participating in that square. It's, it, it's associated with it. As a matter of fact, the moon is right next to the planet Uranus, the wake-up call. So anyway, I was working on my newsletter right before our call, and it's interesting because if you just look at the archetypal energy, Aries is, is all about self-identity and self-discovery, and it's ruled by Mars. And then you have Uranus, the planet of sudden awakenings and sudden changes, right next to the moon. So... Um, If you put together the Mars energy of desire and action and Uranus awakened action and you add that to the moon, it really, to me, talked about the process of the moon goddess, the triple goddess, the maiden, the mother, and the crown. Because it it speaks to, we have to engage in the process of self-reflection and self-awareness about our part in life. And opposite the moon is... Um, The sun in Libra along with Venus And so the sun is shining the light on the moon And Venus has disappeared into the rays of the sun right now It's been a morning star since the beginning of the year And now it's disappeared into the rays of the sun And in December it will be an evening star of wisdom So we have this beautiful picture of the sun and Venus coming together And saying, you know what? All you need is love. It's time to be balanced. It's time to bring some cooperation into this world. It's time that we forgot about war and thought about how we could create peace. And then it reflects off that Aries moon, which is a very warlike moon in some ways. And in the, a negative sense, we could say, look, there's a war. They're starting another war on terror. Really? Um, but um but the other side of it is, we can each become a spiritual warrior. Wake up to our own desires to for peace and for balance between men and women, and the masculine and the feminine energies of life. And so, um, and then, and then the whole full moon, the sun and the moon are in a ninety degree angle to the Pluto in Capricorn, which is about it's time to have a new cultural story and a new cultural paradigm. So this could be a very um, game-changing eclipse for everybody because it brings that more collective change that's going on into a very personal realm. It's time that we let go of our patriarchal conditioning and, as um, Clarissa Este said, run with the wolves as women and perhaps even give birth to the new king because we definitely need... A rebirth of masculine, energy. and this could very well bring us that this about both within men, both in men, so that they actually act like they're grown up human beings, and in women um when we discover our own way of doing things, which is our masculine side that that doing forceful um focused part of ourselves. <laughs>
1: So, well, you know, you're making me think, you know, maybe this is just cuz, well, you know, this is where my mind always goes to, to politics these days cuz you know everything on the news now is, well, you know, what's going to happen in the November election. And um it almost sounds like, you know, there you know, maybe there's some positive energy for things to go well. Um well, any any thoughts on that?
2: I'm not a political astrologer, a mundane astrologer, but, you know, I just can't believe that unless they rig the election that the Republicans are going to win. They are so reactionary, and there's too many people waking up. And with this eclipse, the last, um, this year when we had the eclipses, the eclipses occurred twice within a year. And I mean, there's always at least two eclipses within a two-week period, and we had that in April. Um, when we had the Grand Cross in the sky, um, right around Easter and, and um, Passover. And so that was a big change time, and now this is the second time where the energies are really strong and, and asking for change. And I really feel as if if people, I mean, a lot of people are disgusted with the political system, don't you think? <laughs> oh, for and, sure. Um, and and so a lot of people that I know, especially young people, go, why bother to vote? But um, but if we don't take our, our lives in our own hands, and that includes our political lives, then we fa- we are failing, okay, the moment, if you will. And, um, like, it's very hard for us to pick. As much as I'm, I would love a woman president, Hillary is Monsanto's shill. She's been on the board of Monsanto for 20 years. So, you know, it's very hard to say, yes, I would pick her because maybe she's you know, make um, GMOs like the thing. Um, so that's yeah. hard. you know, politics is hard. Nobody's perfect. But, of course, the more liberal-leaning um, representatives would certainly bring about more change. And I really feel like people will, if they grab this moment, that we can um, stop Republicans from taking over this, the, the country and um, not go back, because really and truly, Evolution is going to happen. There's no way we can stop it. So hopefully the evolutionary energy that's really, you know, pounding like waves on the shore um, needs to bring us into the future. And um, But it takes each one of us to make that future. So
0: okay. politically,
2: I think it's hopeful. I think it's helpful. I might be wrong. I don't know.
1: (laughs) All right. So that's October 8th. We have uh, the first eclipse. Then um, there's one more uh, uh, toward the end of the month.
2: It's a solar eclipse. And you're going to laugh, but right now I can't remember if it's the 23rd or the 25th, but it's around sometime. It's in the (laughs) 20th. It's in Scorpio. As a matter of fact, it's the first day of Scorpio. Um, The solar eclipse will be at zero degrees Scorpio. And um, and so that's a new beginning. It's a new moon. A a lunar eclipse is a full moon, and a solar eclipse is a new moon. That also might be able to be seen in North America um, for most of it, so be on the lookout in the newspapers for that. But, um, But what that talks about is we really, really need to look at our shadows, and we really need to begin to integrate a new emotional body, if you will, in terms of how we relate to other people. For me, an example of that is is the way that um, this group ISIL or the Islamic State, I refuse to call it by the goddess name, um, how, you know, people are horrified that they have beheaded people. And it is. It's an awful thing. Some people can be just totally awful, okay? But we blow people up. With True. drones. Okay. So this these evil men are cutting off a head from a body. We are blowing bodies up into many pieces. And not just one at a time, many people at a time. And so it's time for us to really see the hypocrisy of not only in our own lives, but in our in our um collective lives, I think. This is, yeah. this is what this time period is all about. Are we going to recognize the reality of what we do and what we allow our leaders to do, and are we going to change that? <sighs> and so in, so with this eclipse, it's really important for all of us to, to not blame other people for our lives, but to look at our lives and clean them up.
3: Right, right.
2: You well, know? that sounds we like... It
1: that sounds like in, incredibly good advice if everybody cleaned up their own uh their own pantry their their own garage uh you know what i'm saying then uh yeah. you know then then maybe we would have a um you know things things would be better across the board and, instead of you know the way it is now. I mean, um, you know the people in the West just feel like they're entitled to uh, to call the shots. And you know I think about that sometimes. I mean, certainly not that I'm supporting you know a group like ISIL. I mean, never in a million years. You know I mean look, look what they do women. I mean they're taking child right. stealing child brides. But you know if you, when you you think about you know when when the Bush administration uh, you know invaded Iraq, a country that didn't even have anything to do with 9/11. Imagine if you were Civilian, there. You know, I mean, those poor people, those poor civilians. They were just, um, you know, they were they were cannon fodder. I mean, it's like no one yes. gave them much.
2: And they, much ha- <laughs> and they had quite a good culture. Women, were, you know, people in Iraq were, were. I don't know how wealthy they were, but women worked. They were they. They had a, a culture that was working, and the whole yeah. Middle East. Maybe had a culture that was working. Not maybe all of them, but there are many cultures, very many countries, and we have demolished that for out of greed. Because we really go to war for corporations. We don't go. I didn't ask the president to go to war for me.
0: Corporations,
2: you know, rule our world, and they force governments into going to war. So, you know, what can we as women do? We can be examples. We can let the goddess shine through us. And in all of our relationships and in all of our interactions, we can stand in our truth and our beauty um, and not, not obey the rules of patriarchy anymore, but be our own unique selves. And I think that's what the gods is calling on us to do. They can only kill us. And there's a fear of death in patriarchy because they believe you're either all going to go to hell, I think, or it's the end. Because so, you know, patriarchy is very linear, beginning, middle, and end. Whereas we know the goddess says, ah, oh, that's not the end. It's only the beginning of a new adventure. And right. so with this new terrorist war that could go on again for another 20 years and waste all our money and our energy and our lives, um, what women can do is stand up and say, don't be afraid. All will be well.
3: Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, I mean, I really, I think about if women around the world just stood up and said, enough, you know, we this uh, uh, just enough. Instead of being complicit uh, in the destruction, you know, just uh, you know, stand up like mothers and say, "We are life givers. We won't allow you to take any more life."
2: I know, like the um, play um, from ancient Greece, like, like stuff. Is that yes. how you say it? When the women would make love with the men um, if they went to war, and so, but if we women would only unite, we are so powerful and. But we sit back and we still are caught in that patriarchal um, box of, oh, well, I shouldn't say anything. Just even listening to women and myself through the years, how we apologize constantly. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, we need to step back and we need to own our power, um, which is the power of life. And then we need to take stands for it, I think.
1: Well said, Kathy. Well listen, and I know you, um we're gonna have to wrap this up. We're at the uh we're at the half hour half mark hour and point. I Yeah, I see Charlene is on the switchboard and I'm gonna get to her in just a second. I know she can hear me. Uh but please okay. um tell listeners um how they can reach you and about your book and if they want a reading from you. Um please please fill the listeners in, Kathy.
2: Okay. Uh, my my website is um wisdomofastrology.com, dot com, but you have to put dashes in the middle of the word, So Wisdom dash of dash Astrology dot com. And I am a Jungian trained dream therapist, and I'm an archetypal astrologer, and I can do tarot readings. Um, you know, I'm basically here as hopefully an older wise woman, an older crone who who can advise you to live your life in a wise way. My book is called Wisdom's Daughters, How Women Can Change the World, and it's based on a fairy tale. It's based on an image of the woman clothed with the sun, um, one of the images of Lady Wisdom. But I also work on a fairy tale called Rao or Furskin, uh, about how to leave the father's house and, and become your own woman. Um, and I love the fact that you're doing fairy tales this month. I think it's so important, um, especially talk about Maleficent, because that's a movie all women should go to see.
1: Absolutely. There you go. Well, you know, I was sitting in the movie theater, and I got the idea for this.
2: (laughs) Good. I I wrote a whole blog about Maleficent, because she's the 13th fairy. She's the goddess that wasn't invited to the christening. Yes, and, uh, yes, the lady yes. who wrote, yeah, the lady who wrote the fairy, this um, story. She knew her fairy tales, and she has healed the divine feminine in this fairy tale. So, everybody go see it, and Angelina is beautiful in it.
1: <laughs> yes, she she really is. She really is. Well, Kathy, listen, thank you so much uh, for being with us again this month, and uh, for um, you know all of your your wise words.
2: And I'll see you next month.
1: Okey doke. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Well, uh next up is uh, Joe Carson for just a quick minute here. Uh Joe Carson dancing with Gaia. Let's uh hear what she has to say.
2: Most
3: people see
4: humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This This is my mother planet. I grew out of this
3: earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us
2: or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course.
1: Uh, well, that was Serena roney dougal Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries like Serena who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and all of that is just 20 bucks. Uh, You can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. And as always, thanks to Joe Carson for running her commercial here. It helps me keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. So um, next up, uh, we have Charlene Spretnak with us, and um, I've been looking forward to talking to her for the last few months. Hi, Charlene. I unmuted you. Hi, Karen. Well, thank you for being with, uh, <clears throat> with us tonight. And uh, I don't know if you heard the, the top of the hour, but uh, Kathy, our resident astrologer, told us that we are starting to feel the effects of Mercury retrograde, which uh, happened Saturday. So that might explain the phone situation and all the frazzled <laughs> energy yesterday. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, listen, before we start our chat about Lost Goddesses of uh, Early Greece and get into our f- uh, feminist uh, mythology and uh, goddess mythology and feminist fairy tale stuff, uh, let me introduce you to my listeners by way of your um, your bio, which uh, r- expresses an incredible body of work. So, dear listeners, if uh, by some miracle you have not heard of Charlene Spretnak, she is one of the foremothers of the women's spirituality movement. She's the author of several books on historical and contemporary aspects of women's spirituality. We'll be discussing the first book she wrote in 1978, Lost Goddesses of Early Greece, a collection of pre-Hellenic myths published by Beacon Press. In this book, she reconstructs the pre Olympian myths for the first time in more than 2,500 years. Then, four years later, in 82, Charlene proposed a framework with which to understand the emergent women's spirituality movement. This was an anthology she edited titled The Politics of Women's Spirituality, published by Doubleday. Uh, for the 94 edition, she added an essay on the first 20 years of the women's spirituality movement. Then in 1991, she wrote States of Grace, the Recovery of Meaning in the Postmodern Age, which includes a chapter on the contemporary rebirth of goddess spirituality. And, but she didn't stop there. No, she kept going. In 2004, she wrote Missing Mary, the Queen of Heaven and Her Reemergence in the Modern Church, in which she questions the radical reduction of the status and meaning of the Virgin Mary in the modernized Roman Catholic Church over the past 40 years, which has largely denied her symbolic, cosmological, and mystical dimensions. She also wrote several books on ecological politics and eco-philosophy like Green Politics, The Global Promise, which was a catalyst for the forming of the Green Party movement in this country, which she was a co-founder. Uh, also under that uh, heading of ecology and uh, politics uh, was the spiritual dimension of green politics. And in uh, 2012, the resurgence of the real relational reality, new discoveries of interrelatedness that are transforming the modern world. I think that was one of the things we spoke about in one of our past uh, interviews you can find in the archives. Now, her latest book being published later this month by Palgrave Macmillan, is The Spiritual Dynamic in Modern Alternative. And in 1989, Charlene was inducted into the Ohio Women's Hall of Fame in recognition of her writings on spirituality and social justice. She's a professor emerita in the Women's Spirituality Program of the Philosophy and Religion Department at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I am very pleased and honored to have her in the new anthology, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Conversations to Reshape the World, which is based on um, essays and uh, transcripts from uh, interviews uh, that have happened here on the show. So welcome back, Charlene. Thank you. Well, um, you know you uh, you know you heard Kathy and I uh, chatting a little bit. Uh, I, this idea I had for uh, Goddess mythology and feminist fairy tale month actually started as I was sitting in the movie theater watching the movie Maleficent, and I I wonder if you had a chance to see it and if you did, what you thought about it.
4: I haven't. This is the first I've heard about it.
1: Oh well you're going to have to you can probably get it on Netflix I would imagine. Um you know it it was uh, you know sort of a surprise twist you know uh, at the end instead of the uh you know the woman you know the young girl being awakened by the kiss from uh a, you know a, a fella uh instead uh you know she has a kiss from I guess you would call it maybe her fairy godmother or her mentor. Uh, who was, who was a woman. And, uh, it was most definitely a different twist. The, the, uh, you know, the, the males of the story were just the troublemakers and they were not the ones that, uh, were, were the, were the heroes of the uh-huh. story. Um, and, and you know, uh, when you think about it, Brave and Frozen um, are a bit like that too. You know, I don't usually watch Disney movies, but uh, it's it's really uh, heartening to see that uh, you know Disney is you know taking a different tact, you know, putting a different message out there. Have, I know you've been extraordinarily busy. Have you had time to see either of those?
4: Um, you know, I haven't, as you mentioned, I just, um, I have a book coming out in about three weeks, The Spiritual Dimension of Modern Art, and that has completely um, consumed you the last you. <laughs> couple years. Really, I'm just coming uh, um, you know rejoining the world now so i'm interested in getting all these titles written down <laughs> Just so
1: okay you- well i look i can totally understand that um you know you, you're dedicated to all of this and uh you know you don't have a lot of time for frivolous things really and you know sometimes it feels that way cuz as i said you know i usually don't look at disney movies either um you know i I'd, I'd rather watch something political but uh or a documentary but Anyway, Brave and Frozen, Maleficent, they're they they are worth it. I think they are a oh, reflection Maleficent. of a trend. I,
4: I, Maleficent, yes, of course I'd heard about that, but I haven't seen it. Okay, I wasn't understanding the name. Yes, sure. okay, these are good recommendations. Thank you.
1: Oh, um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, they might be reflective of a trend, you know, that's part of um, – Uh, You know, some of us have been saying, you know, maybe we're in the middle of the revolution here, you know, and sometimes it's hard to see it because it's one step forward, two steps back sometimes. But, uh, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years from now we'll look back and we'll say, yeah, didn't, these were some of the, uh, you know, these were some of the signs, you know, like the crumbling of the NFL in a sense, you know, with this domestic (laughs) violence. Um, you know, troubles that they have. Um, well, you know, it, it,
4: in terms of the films, it clearly means, you know, women have gotten to positions of power in the executive suites in Hollywood. But in terms of, yeah, the, the NFL situation and all the rapes on campuses, I mean, it's um, – I was just saying the other day, it's like suddenly – you know, there's a coming awake of the next round of the feminist movement, it seems like, in in this year. And it's really too bad it took what it took to get to that point. You know, I, the, the great number of rapes on college campuses. But there is a lot of speaking out now by young women, which can only be a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Jimmy Carter talked about it in his new book that came out a few months ago. You know, it's college campuses, it's the military, uh, you know, these are places that, uh, you know, women are, are really under assault, and, you know, yeah. we have to, you know, shed light on that. And, you know, and, and this all ties into, you know, what, uh, you know, feminist fairy tales, and I think, uh, pre-patriarchal goddess mythology, um, I mean, these, these things I think really sort of run, Parallel, in a sense, because you know, um you know the whole idea of feminist fairy tales or 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 uh bringing back and looking at once again you know these pre patriarchal goddess myths it's so that women have a new story you know that women can can create for themselves a new normal um maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit,
4: well, I think that's exactly right because. In our school system, you know, we're always taught that the oldest religion in Europe is Greek mythology, and then we're taught
0: uh,
4: only about the late patriarchal version of the Greek myths. So <clears throat> right there, it's a very skewed story. And one of the things I address in the introduction to Lost Goddesses of Early Greece is the use of that um mythology and that belief in the West that this is the oldest expression of the character of males and females is um a lot of Union analysis uses only the late patriarchal versions of the myths and says, Oh look all the goddesses on Olympus are nasty, jealous bitchy, duplicitous, mm-hmm. <laughs> dangerous uh, characters. That's that's the oldest character of women. Well, of course, it's not at all. And right. um, I myself wouldn't have even known to go looking for the deeper substratum, except that um, I happened to come in contact with um, in 1974, One of the first books of the second wave of feminism, which was um, Elizabeth Gould Davis, The First Sex. Oh, yeah, I love that book. (laughs) Yeah, well, the paperback, the mass market paperback somehow crossed my path. And um, what an eye-opener. I remember I was coming back from a Vipassana mindfulness meditation retreat in New Mexico, back up to Illinois then with two women friends. And we were in a little VW bug, and when I wasn't driving, I was in the back seat reading this book, and every once in a while I said, wow, listen to this, this is incredible, over the, <laughs> in, you know, for for miles and miles, states and states. So um, later, when my daughter, who was a preschooler, we were riding in the car, and she saw that old mobile oil logo, which was the flying horse, I don't know yeah. any. Listen, I, I remember, yeah, the red <laughs> the red <laughs> flying horse. Yeah. Exactly, red flying horse. And she said, "Mommy, mommy, look, there's a horse with wings." We were stopped at a red light and I said I looked over and I said, "Oh, yes, his name is Pegasus, and he's part of a very old story called a myth." And we can go to the Berkeley Public Library and, and get some books of myths and and I'll read them to you. So, we go to do that and all the books are just the patriarchal versions, the late versions, the um, Olympian soap opera, as Jung did call them correctly. Um, so because I had that clue from Elizabeth Gould Davis, and she did make some leaps in various places, but she was a librarian who drew together so much evidence about these closeted histories of, of mm-hmm. women's uh, spiritual history, really, a religious history, Um so that sent me off to the Classics Library at Berkeley which um I could uh, get into then as I was working on campus and I just, you know, hunkered down for a couple years and tracked down all the fragments what's known. There aren't any written fragments. This is before writing, but there are a lot of um there's a lot of evidence of characteristics and um Actions that were associated with the different pre-Olympian goddesses. Uh, so in that way, I was able to fill all these file cards with um, what either archaeologists or classicists or uh, people in the classical period who were writing about, oh, they still tell, tell these stories in this rural area of Greece about a particular goddess. You know, that was another way of what mm-hmm. what it used to be associated with. So... That's how I got um all the evidence drawn together and then I um well, I set about to reconstruct these stories of the pre Olympian version. That must I, have
1: been really difficult. Um, it, um because it like was you said but you it had was to so
4: th- thrilling. First to come across the evidence was so thrilling because, you know, this is our deepest history in Europe and and we didn't know it. Um I mean, of what's recorded. Of course, there were indigenous people all over Europe um, making history before written accounts. But since Greece was so important to the development of the West, this really is, as the great um, classic scholar Jane Ellen Harrison in, in, at Cambridge said, this is the deepest substratum of our culture. Um, so it it wasn't so difficult as an incredible... <laughs> Um, immersion and I think it was a, I guess I'd have to say a scholarly hyphen spiritual uh, task and I would yeah. just spread all the file cards out on my bed of a particular goddess and just be with them meditate, think about the characteristics time of the year where she went for her sacred bath of renewal you know they were all considered virgin in the old sense one in the, one in themselves um mm-hmm. not uh dependent on on men that mean right. they didn't mean they were abstaining from sex, of course, but um so I would just think about all their characteristics and places and then piece together what was known about their story in a way that I hoped was poetic and true to the flow of the oral tradition
0: right uh, right,
4: and I didn't <laughs> go. Off of the evidence. Everything in the book, every myth in these pre Olympian stories opens with a short section where I present the research and then I go into the story um, so people can see this is all based on the evidence and I didn't elaborate beyond right. the evidence. Right. Well, I, um, I
1: love this little book. I, you know, I didn't have it until. Um, I, I didn't actually know about it until I decided to do this. And well, well, that's not exactly right. I I, I knew about it because I teach cakes for the Queen of Heaven. And oh, you I do. Re- okay. <laughs> yeah. So I knew I knew that you had re, uh, you know you had redone the uh, the Demeter Persephone myth, and that's what made me come to, email you and say, well, do you have any more? besides just that one, and I think that's when you pointed me to uh, your book. And it's a splendid little book, and I think um, you did an incredible service uh, with this because, you know, Charlene, the opening, you know, your introduction and everything, it's so easy to understand, you know. It doesn't bog bog anybody down in uh, academic speak, you know. um, Mm -hmm. Anyone Mm -hmm. out there can pick it up. And and understand what you're talking about, and it's um, it. I, I loved it. Uh, I, I really loved it. And in fact, I want to read Thank just a couple paragraphs here from the introduction under the heading "Implications for Patriarchal Religion and Culture," and you write. When compared to the religions of the goddess in Europe and elsewhere, the Judeo-Christian tradition was born yesterday. In fact, the very notion of supreme deity, i.e., ultimate power, being male, is a relatively recent invention. Zeus first appeared around 2500 B.C., and Abraham, the first patriarch of the Old Testament, is dated by biblical scholars at 18. 100 BC. In contrast, some of the goddess statues are dated at 25,000 BC. Therefore, what we see around us, that is, patriarchal religion and social order, is not the natural order for all humankind. Since day one, based on the natural law, and you know that anyone, um, you know, reading that, you know, then your mind automatically goes to Demeter and Persephone. I mean, they were worshipped for longer than than patriarchal religion has almost, well, almost, yeah. but yeah. Uh, and but yet they're dismissed with a wave of the hand. You know, and I and I don't even know if that two thousand years they were worshipped because I'm not good at the timeline. But that doesn't even count pre-patriarchal times, does it? Probably not. Um, twenty to
4: twenty-five thousand, you saying?
1: Well, I'm well. No, I'm thinking. Well, I I I'm I'm thinking that Demeter and Persephone were probably worshipped for like two thousand years. But I'm thinking that's under. That's in, probably in classical times, isn't it? You know, that's uh, when it was patriarchal. But maybe it was even you know longer than that. Or you feel oh, yeah, free to it's correct me. No,
4: no, it's definitely pre-patriarchal. The the idea of the Olympian system, the sky god, somebody up there throwing thunderbolts down, that's that's quite foreign to Greece. That's brought in from the Eurasian steppes by the migration of the Indo-European peoples, who were mostly male pastoralists coming in, and they had a sky god. They brought the idea of the sky god into Greece. Before that, there was just these versions of the sacred female um, very much being the earth, the cycles, um, the cosmological cycles, life. And any time you're seeing the Olympian version, that is the late patriarchal version. So yes, when they came into Greece, they found all this very deeply rooted goddess spirituality. Um, there are already there's some remnants of you know temples that were already there to Hera, for instance. And um, it's not it's not exactly that they I can't remember what you said dismissed it or you don't talk about it. In a way, it's kind of worse. Well. I don't know if it's worse, but it's quite bad. What they did was take the names of the goddesses, the indigenous goddesses there, and since they were the conquerors, they could rewrite the myths, and they incorporated them into these new versions of the myths. So hmm. the great Hera is made to be the wife of Zeus, their sky god they bring in, and... uh Athena, who is this great protectoress and protectoress of the arts and the home from Crete, is brought to the mainland and made to be not have a mother, spring, you know, fully formed from the head of Zeus and be a soldier figure, a warrior figure, defending Daddy's property. And Artemis is made to be the sister of Apollo and. Um, like that it goes. So, and, and Persephone, Persephone was the the Cory or daughter form of the grandmother Demeter. Um, she was in the patriarchal version turned into a rape victim, which yeah. was not in her myth at all before. So, well, you know, and, um, and, and, and that's and what's uh, come and, down to us.
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's like imagine if, you know, you you live your life, I mean, you know, and and then you find out a couple decades later somebody is retelling your story and they've totally... Yeah. Um, misrepresented you, um, you yeah, know, that's, kind of like uh, what
4: happened to Maria Gimbutas. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, there, there was that go. whole attack on her and pretending she said something that's not in her books at all.
1: <laughs> wow, wow.
4: Well, and and you know, but but let's
1: talk about that a little bit. You know, I had a good friend who um, who was very much into Demeter and Persephone, uh, and has written a few books, Jennifer Reef. And um, I remember she would um, she would just go to bat with people about the fact that Demeter and Persephone would never have had rape in their original stories. And mm-hmm. boy and people would beat her up about that. Beat her up and yeah. just thought oh it was a feminist fantasy or something. Right, but right. think think about it. I mean, um and, and I mean and you probably have your your own thoughts on it, but from hearing her talk and and thinking about it myself, that's just an example of I I guess you know, patriarchal control or power over, or domination or uh, well, the, the well, it's,
4: I, we could call it the naturalizing of patriarchy. In other words, making it sound natural, that there have always been everywhere there, there are humans living in a society. There's always a lot of rape because, you know, men are kind of like that. But that is not the case. It's true in patriarchal societies. It was certainly true in the Indo-European tribes that came in. But really, one of the people who's done so much on this is Peggy Reeves sanday she's an anthropologist at Penn University of Pennsylvania and a lot of her grad students and her books have um studied cultures where um well some still have the clan mother system intact in even at this time but she said there were many cultures where especially in Micronesia you know the first Anthropologists would go in and say, "Okay, you know, I'm trying to do a survey of this culture. How many rapes do you have per year?" And they say, "What?
0: I say what? <laughs> you know,
4: force ourselves on on the daughters of the cosmos who are central to the ritual that we do, you know, every so often." And it's just not natural. It's only natural in male dominant cultures, and and those cultures had either. Um, Well, I'm getting to her other book, which I think is so great. I want to mention uh, Female Power, Male Dominance, which is a great, great book where she does an overview of the anthropological um, studies of 154 cultures. And she said, you know, they really shake down into these two categories, and um, one has either um a goddess it has either a female creation story or a divine couple creation story, and the culture is generally egalitarian and these people have kind of an easy time getting food, either fish from the sea or they're in a fertile area um, and um yeah the the women are honored as as being a little closer to the cosmological. Juice. You know, their bodies are running on rhythm with the cycles of the moon and mm-hmm. they they have this elemental power to swell up like a full moon and pull people out of their bodies. So they have a central part in the ritual. And then the other category, um, they have a harder time getting food, like the nomadic cultures, the horsemen who range all, for instance, all over the steppes, And they have a dominant social system and, you know, a patriarchal god up on a sky god. And they have this kind of mm, halfway conscious fear rippling through the male part of the culture about female sexuality, like it's some dangerous power, and if it's not controlled, it's just going to get you and absorb you and annihilate you. (laughs) So they're always trying to control that because they see it as such a dangerous power. So it's very interesting, that book. Um, And it definitely counters those people who say, what are you talking about? You know, if you've got men and female living together, of course the men are going to rape the women. It's just that.
1: Well, you know, I had um, I I had a guest on uh, last week, and we were talking about the Iroquois and Mm -hmm. um, uh, Susan. I'm trying to I I had her name written right down written right here, and I can't find it now, so I'm scrambling a little bit. Um, But uh, we were she she's an expert on the Iroquois, and she's Mm -hmm. researched them, and we were discussing the fact that you know that was more of an egalitarian society, and if a woman was a was uh, abused if there was any domestic violence in the in the tribe, then the men just took care of this guy. you know they sort of took him out and banished him or whatever and it just uh, you know it just wasn 't something that was tolerated so this like you said this this naturalization or this uh, normalizing of uh, this bad behavior this domination this abuse this exploitation. Um, boy, <laughs> what a head trip, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they have been getting away with it for uh, way, way too long.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, the Iroquois are particularly interesting, too, because the way they chose their leaders, they the um, grandmothers, the mothers and grandmothers, would observe the boys playing, and they would select the ones who had good character to be trained oh. to be on the council to be the leaders. So those men in charge always knew who put them there. It was right. the observant women, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was Sally Roche Wagner, um that that uh, we were chatting. In fact she's gonna be coming back on in January talking about news and the Anthony, I believe. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean it because so here we had You know, right here on our continent and and other indigenous people, too, who, you know, could have shown us the way if um, we only bothered to look. Well, (laughs) Um, there
4: was influence into the Constitution because they had a representative body. Ben Franklin was um, quite interested in the Iroquois system of the Confederacy and the representative government. Um, But underneath it all is the grandmothers deciding (laughs) who's going to be a leader and who's not.
1: Right. Who do we yeah. trust,
4: you know, to be in the council?
1: And you know, we have to stop and think, you know, how would that change society? You yeah. know, um, how how would that change society? You know, instead of you know women and children sort of left defenseless on the fringes of society, they're they're you know they're more at the center of society. Right. Uh, I mean, it, w- it would change everything. Yeah. Um. It, and I mean, and maybe uh, even go back to you know these times where. Um, uh you know lineage uh you know it, it, were really sort of insignificant uh you know it didn't really matter who the who the child's father was you know because the child was sort of part of the you know sort of part of the family tribe
4: mhm mhm well that's another thing the men just won't let go of that um marriage modern marriage form is eternal it's <laughs>
3: just yeah
4: taken them so long to look at the anthropological evidence, even in the field of anthropology, that, you know, uh the oldest uh lasting, enduring couple in human history is not the husband and wife, it's the mother and child. And in matrifocal and matrilineal cultures, um, it's the mother and um her Siblings, her brother, will live in the household with the children there's there's what is the name of that um story in China? A woman who wrote that she came to um California and wrote about her culture where the men come and visit it's called the visit I think the men come at night and you know visit their lover through they'll knock on the front door nobody answers the door in the household except the woman after a certain hour at night because of someone for her um so that's how children are made. But if they break up or something, it doesn't affect the children at all because they have a stable household. The mother's brother, their uncle, is the very steady figure in their life. Um, so it's very interesting how different arrangements have worked over time to keep, you know, what children need to be raised and stable social systems. And it's certainly not the only choice, being the male and female patriarchal marriage.
1: Well, and and I don't know about you, but your hair probably must, you know, like light on fire because I know mine does. You know, whenever you see these, you know, these uh, crazy Republicans on TV, uh, you know, just, just, you know, sort of going batshit about, uh, you know, preserving, you know, preserving the marriage and, uh, you know, trying to take away contraception and, you know, trying to just, you know, push us you know, back into the dark ages again. Uh, and, and, and really, I, I'm sure these people have really probably have no conception that um, that it ever was different, you know. I, I, I mean, I know I lived in that conservative bubble down in the South, you know, and these sorts of things, you know, people just weren't intellectually curious about this stuff. You just sort of assumed mm-hmm. that uh, everything has always been the way it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: Well, I think, you know, what you just mentioned there with the amazing opposition to contraception, um, as well as earlier in the program you were talking about, you know, the rapes at uh, military academies and universities, it's the same thing. There's just, from the 60s on, there's resentment of men in a field that women are coming into their field because they feel that devalues it. So they hate it when there are women in the military academies or women at the universities, you know. And if yeah. they can harass them and, and rape them and beat them up and make them leave, they feel that's a good thing. And it's the yeah. same thing with contraception. You know, you can't have those careers unless you can have contraception. So if we just take care of all this, it'll be back to barefoot and pregnant.
1: Right. Exactly. And and uh, and and really, when you think about it. Um, if If it were like that again, and well you think of how so many women today really do put up with bad marriages because of economics, you know because maybe they have too many, more children than they wanted. Um, you know the men really, and, and I'm not male-bashing. I know you're married. I'm married for 30 years. You know, there's lots of good men out there. But mm-hmm. you know, the, the, um, somebody on Facebook said, "Let's just dump the chumps." You know, it's <laughs> sort of the, the the chumps out there. You know, that are really getting away with. Um, in I think in a lot of cases uh you know they're they're the ones that 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 really aren't evolving, you know the ones that would abuse or dominate their wife or you know not give her freedoms not giving her not give her equality in their partnership you know because it is it isn't a partnership mhm,
4: but I remember this one quote from a policeman I don't know in this magazine many many years ago he said i didn't I didn't really think of my wife as being a full person like I am <laughs> I mean,
1: God. Wow. Well, look, <laughs> we can't forget what in in the 19th century they were debating if women had souls. You know. Yeah.
4: Well, before that, but definitely true. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, um well, you know, I, I wonder but getting back to your book, which um I think if, if listeners want it, they probably have to only is, is it still in print or they have to get this yeah. copy? Beacon
4: Press Beacon Press uh has kept all their backlists in print thanks to print on demand, so
1: oh, any wonderful bookstore
4: can get you a copy of it.
1: Well, that's that's good. I, I really I, I mean, and it's it's not long. It's uh it's a short, easy read, and um and and I just love it. It's a precious it's a precious book. Um and and I guess I want to ask you, do you uh, were you the only one that you're aware of that's done anything like this? I mean, because you you took on the <laughs> Greek, you know, pre-patriarchal myths. Has anyone done that with any other um, any other traditions?
4: That's a really interesting question, Karen, because when I was working on this, I I certainly didn't know of any, and I thought this would be the first. I thought there would eventually be a little shelf of these reconstructed myths from different cultures around the world, (laughs) which I guess has happened in different ways, but not exactly like what I had in mind for this one. So certainly at the time, um, as far as I know, it was the first one. And um, it... You know, certainly the evidence has brought been brought forward in other ways. Um, For instance, I hope your listeners know about that um, goddesses in world mythology, big paperback, a bibliographical dictionary. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible book that Martha Ann and Dorothy Myers Immel did. It's got eleven thousand goddesses in it from around the world. Information Mm -hmm. about so. I cite that book sometimes just saying if they say, Oh, there weren't many goddesses if people say, What are you talking about? There wasn't so this is let me repeat that, eleven thousand goddesses, nymphs, demons and what they call deified women um in this around the world study. So there's certainly been a lot in your own book on goddesses, there are lots of different ways to approach it but um I thought there might be more like what I was doing in Lost Goddesses of really Greece and I haven't uh
1: seen that so much so what we might find I mean I actually don't have that one I don't think um, so we still may find patriarchal mythology goddess mythology
4: oh yes
1: <laughs> okay okay yeah because I, I, I'm I'm trying to see you know how do we uh, well I mean look I, I, I have the freedom an academic doesn't okay and I feel like what stops us from rewriting the myths you know, what stops us from interpreting, you know, rewriting them and, and uh, interpreting them ourselves because we know mythology shapes our culture. I mean, that's why, you know, male God, male authority, women subservient, that whole thing. If yeah. if we take it upon ourselves, give ourselves permission to, um, to simply do that, to rewrite the stories, to interpret them, you know, in the myths, Uh, the qualities that we see that will make the world a better place for women on the planet.
4: Yeah, well in a way that's that's another um, project too from reconstructing it is to sort of um, bring them alive in our time you know, with our um, concerns because I think, you know, you're saying sort of mm, I don't want to say take ownership but, but Relate to to what these say about yeah. the female, as I say, running on cosmological time and being recognized in so many cultures originally as this conduit to these larger forces, you know. And yeah. that's so that's so completely unimaginable for young women today that you would have that kind of power. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. There's certainly a lot of good that could come from what you were talking about.
1: Well, you know, I I was just thinking when I was researching sacred places of goddess, 108 destinations, and I had to, you know, I was I was delving into cultures that uh, I didn't know a whole lot about, and I stumbled over. I think it was a uh, an Australian or or it might have been a a New Zealand goddess, and they had uh, teeth in their vagina. I think they called it vagina dentata. And, and and I thought how patriarchal that is. Great you know, patriarchal but, fear. Yeah, a, a patriarchal fear. And you know there there is actually a movie that was made in the nineties. Um, and my husband brought it to my attention. He said, "Karen, you got to come watch this. This is this is a great movie." And I'm going to have to ask him what the title was. I should have asked him before the show started, but I'm thinking of it now. Uh, there's it, it, it. It's set in contemporary times, and this woman has teeth down there, but they only come out when someone is going to rape her or or <laughs> molest her. You know, I mean, she's fine and normal if she wants to have consensual sex or she's in love or whatever, but those teeth are there when she needs them. <laughs> and I, th- I thought it was hysterical, but, you know, what a great story,
4: if yeah. only. <laughs> you know, when um, the book Jaws came out, the first cover design had a picture of a shark with its mouth open and the teeth all the way around the edge. And the marketing guys looked at that and said, "Uh, I don't know, and that makes me a little nervous. I'm not sure why, you know. And
0: so it was just bringing up this whole vagina dentata
4: thing, and then they changed the cover to something they'd be more comfortable with. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because if you take that
1: mouth, instead of it being horizontal, you turn it, you know, you uh, you, you turn it vertical. You have that, you know, that oval with the teeth. Right, exactly. Uh, it yeah, looks like the, the vaginal opening. That's, that's really funny. Um, but, but let's talk about, um, you know, this idea of giving ourselves permission to interpret the myths. You know, I got, again, you know, I started thinking about that from teaching cakes. And because you were so generous to allow them to publishing cakes, which is an incredible, relevant curriculum that I think should be required for everyone.
4: It was um, written by Reverend uh, Shirley Ann Rank.
1: Yes, and and Liz Fisher, who are both in the anthology. In fact, I met Liz finally in person at the book launch party last week. Wonderful woman. Oh. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
1: uh, I think we owe them so much for making sure that curriculum got out there because it was a struggle mm-hmm. uh, to put it out there. But
4: then it was published have... by the Unitarian Universalist Church.
1: Yes, and and listeners can go online and find it. Cakes for the Queen of Heaven, or Rise Up and Call Her Name, two wonderful curriculums. But Charlene, your uh, rewriting of the Demeter Persephone myth, the pre-patriarchal one, is in there. And what I really loved about what Cakes, how Cakes used your version, you know, the pre-patriarchal version, because it's it made it relevant because it spoke to um it, it improved relationships between mothers and daughters and god who doesn't need that you know our relationships with our mothers can be so complicated mm. and 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 that's really i think what made me start to think about how important it is to, you know, that that we actually do that. And as a matter of fact, when I teach cakes and I get to that chapter, I extrapolate a little bit. I take it a little bit further <clears throat> because, you know, there's been, you know, sometimes, you know, Think of Phyllis Chessler's Women's In Humanity to Women. Sometimes we women have trouble, you know, getting along. Mm -hmm. And so I I looked at that Demeter-Persephone myth and how it was interpreted to, say, let there be healthy relationships between mothers and daughters and extrapolated to say, well, look, we are all daughters, and a lot of us are mothers, whether we have biological children or we nurture or we birth projects or books or ideas or whatever it is, let's take that a step further and say let the Demeter and Persephone myth stand for let women have healthy relationships with one another, not just mothers and daughters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we should do this with all of the goddess mythology out there. Mm -hmm.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
4: Yeah, well, there's a lot in every single one of these uh, recovered stories from the pre-Olympian version that... um, is is relevant in in women's lives. I think that's true. Well, you
1: know, I was going to read a couple of these, um, unless you'd like to. Um, I was going to read maybe one or two of the myths from your book. Um, Would you like to do it, or uh, do you want me to do it? I mean, I don't know how much time you have left to be with us.
4: Oh, I have some time. Well, I could do one, and you could do one. Okay, all right. Do you have a favorite? (laughs) Oh, I can't pick a favorite i I'm so attached to all of them <laughs> um, but the first one, maybe we should start with the first one, which is Gaia the okay Earth. and um she was so important as a very ancient goddess, and even after the patriarchal system came in um in on Mount Olympus, they couldn't start any rituals without a prayer first um invoking goddess. Uh, This is their litany, Earth Sends Up Fruits, So We Praise Earth the Mother. And another one, First in Our Prayers Before All Other Gods Who Call on Earth Primeval Prophetess. So she's really at the substratum of um, European religion. Okay. Hey, this is Gaia. Free of birth or destruction, of time or space, of form or condition, is the void From the eternal void, Gaia danced forth and rolled herself into a spinning ball. She molded mountains along her spine, valleys in the hollows of her flesh. A rhythm of hills and stretching plains followed her contours. From her warm moisture, she bore a flow of gentle rain that fed her surface and brought life. Wriggling creatures spawned in tidal pools while tiny green shoots pushed upward through her pores. She filled oceans and ponds and set rivers flowing through deep furrows. Gaia watched her plants and animals grow. In time, she brought forth from her womb six women and six men. The mortals thrived, but they were continually concerned with the future. At first, Gaia thought this was an amusing eccentricity on their part. However, when she saw that their worry about the future nearly consumed some of her children... She installed among them an oracle. In the hills at the place they called Delphi, Gaia sent up steaming vapors from her nether world. They wafted up from a cleft in the rocks surrounding a priestess. Gaia instructed her priestess in the ways of entering a trance and in the interpretation of messages that arose from the darkness of her earth womb. The mortals traveled long distances to consult the oracle Will my child's birth be auspicious? Will our harvest be bountiful? Will the hunt yield enough game? Will my mother survive her illness? Gaia was so moved by their stream of anxieties that she sent forth other portents of the future at Athens and Agai. Unceasingly the earth mother manifested gifts on her surface and accepted the dead into her body. In return she was revered by all mortals. Offerings to Gaia of honey and barley cake were left in a small hole in the earth before plants were gathered. Many of her temples were built near deep chasms where yearly the mortals offered sweet cakes into her womb. From within the darkness of her secrets, Gaia received their gifts.
1: Hmm. That's that's lovely. And, you know, I can see where a teacher, you know, or... um, a book club or just a a circle could take that myth and just have so much fun uh, interpreting it. You know uh-huh. i mean not that you want to create a dogma you know or a catma as uh-huh. as uh, as as reverend Lorian um uh, uh, over at isis oasis was was so funny to say, but you know you could you know you could pull out of there you know values and um ideas you know uh things that would empower women you know mm-hmm. uh maybe healthier ways of uh of being in the world or living life
4: right. Right. I, I mean,
1: I, I was I was thinking about how, uh, like, for instance, the Isis myth. Um, some people now look at that Isis archetype as um, as an archetype for single mothers. You know, uh, mm-hmm. because so many women, you know, raise their children alone, as Isis mm-hmm. did with Horus. You know, after mm-hmm. Osiris dies. Mm-hmm. uh you know or isis is uh you know a, an example of of uh of women's leadership you know isis the throne gives the pharaoh the right to rule you know mm-hmm. kind of a thing i i, I really th- think that um we need to all be doing more of this you know not uh in, and not be timid about it i mean that mm-hmm. that's just my personal opinion you know it it mm-hmm. it just feels like that it. you know the time is overdue <laughs> um yeah. You know i mean at at some point, men did this right? I mean, they took the bible and and it's supposed to be allegories for us to to live by you know um right. why not uh have the same thing using goddess stories and or goddess mythology?
4: Yeah, exactly. Good parallel.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I think um, I will go ahead and um, Pandora. You know, I'll just go ahead with Pandora because uh-huh. you know she's a, very much a misunderstood character uh, from right. patriarchal times. You know, we know right. Pandora, and you know she was supposed to have unleashed all the evils onto the world, but no, right. no, that's like, that's
4: one. Yeah.
1: That's that's not the way it really was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the um, the real Pandora. Earth Mother had given the mortals life. This puzzled them greatly. They would stare curiously at one another, then turn away to forage for food. Slowly, they found that hunger has many forms. One morning, the humans followed an unusually plump bear cub to a hillside covered with bushes that hung heavy with red berries. They began to feast at once, hardly aware of the tremors beginning beneath their feet. As the quaking increased, a chasm gaped at the crest of the hill. From it arose Pandora with her earthen pithos. The mortals were paralyzed with fear, but the goddess drew them into her aura. "I am Pandora, giver of all gifts," she lifted the lid from the large jaw. From it she took a pomegranate which became an apple, which became a lemon, which became a pear. I bring you flowering trees that bear fruit, gnarled trees hung with olives, and this the grapevine that will sustain you. She reached into the jar for a handful of seeds and sprinkled them over the hillside. I bring you plants for hunger and illness, for weaving and dyeing. Hidden beneath my surface you will find minerals, ore, and clay of endless forms. She took from the jar two flat stones. Attend with care my plainest gift. I give you flint. Then Pandora turned the jar on its side, inundating the hillside with her flowing grace. The mortals were bathed in the changing colors of her aura. I bring you wonder, curiosity, memory, I bring you wisdom. I bring you justice with mercy. I bring you caring and communal bonds. I bring you courage, strength, endurance. I bring you loving kindness for all beings. I bring you the seeds of peace. The end. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what a difference, huh? Uh, You know, what a difference. Uh, You know, that is from what we were accustomed to hearing about Pandora.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And and actually in her patriarchal story it's kind of parallel to the way Eve was made over, you know, the stories in the Adam and Eve story, all the elements there had earlier meanings from the older religion. So the tree wasn't the forbidden tree with the fruit of knowledge, you know, the sacred bough was a very positive uh, religious symbol and the snake shape um Shedding and renewing, again, had positive connotations in the goddess religion. Um, and, of course, the woman, as we've talked about, had a central place in ritual. So that's all turned on its head. You know, the woman is told not to do this. Do not pick that fruit over on that tree. <laughs> do mm-hmm. not the snake that would make you do it. And in Pandora's patriarchal myth, do not open that box. Well, oh, women are so, you know, disobedient. She opens the box and out comes, <laughs> as you say, you know, all the um, pestilence and famine and problems for the human race because that girl opened the box. Wow. So It's outrageous how much it was changed, but I'm hoping to, um, you know, save her rep here. <laughs> there
1: you go. Well... And uh, listeners can also find uh, the pre-patriarchal or pre-classical uh, myths of Themis, Aphrodite, Artemis, Selene, Hecate, Hera, Athena, Demeter, and Persephone. What what a little jewel here! I I bet Beacon Press is going to wonder why all of a sudden they're they're getting orders for this old book again, Charlene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. Um, You know, I I guess uh, I I wonder if there's anything else, um, you know, you want to share about any of this.
4: Oh, just that um, I, I feel in the 70s there was such an energy for recovering this, and it seems to have gone in waves you know we we should never think that it's dying out because it seems to go in waves and every few years there's another burst of new people getting interested in this mm-hmm. um, and it seems as you were talking about some of these themes getting into films it seems that we might be at the beginning heading toward a crest again and so i'm i'm so happy that you opened this discussion again because i actually think it's quite timely and we shall see
1: we shall see. <laughs> well, and you know and I would like to encourage my listeners out there, don't wait for somebody else to do it, you know. It's like mm-hmm. we we keep talking about, you know, uh the Dalai Lama says it'll be Western women that'll save the world. Well, women, nobody's gonna hand it to you. You gotta take it. <laughs> so, you know, let's just uh let's just start doing this ourselves, you know. Don't uh uh you know, don't wait for somebody else to tell you it's okay and don't be afraid to um attach your own interpretations to these things, you know. Um, I, I know that might sound a little scary because, you know, we always, you know, when we think of the Bible, right, we think, oh, the Bible's supposed to be the word of God. Well, come on, give me a break. You know, it, it was written by men, and we can create a goddess Bible that's written by women, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, in, instead of instead of women, uh, you know, being subservient and dominated, you know, it's it yeah. would be a, a book of empowerment.
4: Uh huh. And it's of course so important to dislodge the <laughs> very central belief, even by people who aren't religious in this culture, that you know, m- men are the same form as God, women aren't. So that's such a pernicious um, and deeply planted social belief.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we we have a lot of uh of, of relearning to do, reprogramming, you know, and and even with ourselves, you know, cuz it you know, we we fall back into um, you know, these these ideas that we grew up with. Um, you know, it's it's a constant uh, you know, a constant remembering that uh um, uh, you know, we we have to create the new normal. Mhm.
0: Mhm
1: right so um I, I guess, um, my only other question and, and like you said, you know, you didn't want to bog down this this beautiful little book with uh you know with tons of end notes and things like that, although you do have uh, oodles and oodles of sources at the back. I mean, when you found the clues, I guess I'm just wondering, what did the clues look like was it you know was it uh you know greek pots or or was it just a multitude of sources that enabled you to glean these myths.
4: Well, um as I mentioned, it's it's different uh sources from different directions and um it, some are archaeological findings that these goddess myths are much older than uh, I mean the the uh temples, much older than the temples that were later built to gods and um then there are um references in classical times to the earliest beliefs in various parts of the country um and some were um um even classical writers who wrote down some of these archaic beliefs that people cling to was another way that the old characteristics got carried forward so um you know just to be I remember I used to be riding home on the bus from the uh, classics library at uc berkeley and i would be so excited i must want to grab everybody on the bus or just shout wow pandora wasn't an evil stupid girl who opened a box full of ills. she was an incredible bountiful source of all gifts for humans isn't that fantastic (laughs) You know, I was just bursting with it. <laughs>
1: well, it, so. it, it uplifts you, you know. Suddenly, you know, is. woman is taken out of the realm of she can't, you know, she isn't always the evil one, you know, the one that lures men into doing horrible things. Instead, right. you know, she's, she's just the opposite, you know. She's, yeah. um, you know, the giver of bounty and life and beauty and joy. And um, that just, uh, you know, it, it changes everything. I mean, it, yeah. it literally you know literally changes everything for
0: sure.
1: well, um Charlene, I have enjoyed uh delving into this with you. It has been fun, and uh I think the quest continues for us all to uh, you know reclaim the goddess mythology and uh and and the feminist myths uh, i I think it could be uh, in, in incredibly. Uh, empowering and and life changing and uh I mean, I mean it's like when one of the exercises in the cakes classes is we we take a uh, a myth or a bible story and we rewrite it from a goddess perspective or a woman's huh. point of view uh-huh. and uh it, it it's really fun because i remember one uh you know one woman wrote uh you know her her uh, her exercise was she revisioned what super bowl sunday would be like and <laughs> you know and because you know the anecdotal evidence for that is that's a day a lot of women suffered domestic violence
0: mm-hmm. and
1: instead of a super bowl sunday where you know everybody's focused on this you know the this fight of the gladiators um it it's a day of art and culture you know, and everybody tunes into that instead of, yes. you know, uh, and there was an, another woman um, took that that myth of Abraham, who's about to, you know, uh, in the Bible, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son on the altar to God, yeah. and he's saved at the he saved at the end by goddess. Goddess appears and says, "No, uh-huh. you, you're not gonna, you know, you're uh-huh. you're not gonna sacrifice your son. Are you crazy?" Uh-huh. <laughs> So anyway, sounds, right? I, I I love the cakes. Uh, I love the cakes curriculum. It's uh, it, it's really wonderful, and it it doesn't surprise me that some of the uh, response to that has been it's changed my life because these myths, you know, when they're looked at in the proper perspective, they they will change lives. They do change mm-hmm. lives.
4: And it is our deepest history in the West. So. You know, there's that as well as the personal. Might as well know what our real history is. Here it is.
1: Absolutely. Rather than the world being warped, you know, on the basis of, um, you know, stuff that, uh, you know, was not the earliest or the original uh, the original Good. stories. Good. I, I guess before I let you go, I'll, I'll just I'll just ask if um, you know if if you're comfortable answering this question. Um, you know, I, I had a a student on the show recently who has been you know really into uh, the artifacts in Malta, and the subject came up about how you know uh, academia is so patriarchal, and you know they'll just bend, you know these men will bend themselves into a pretzel to ignore um, women. And, you know, we were talking about the artifacts uh, in Malta where you can see, you know, red ochre, you know, sort of, you know, runs between the legs of a woman and, and you know, the statue maybe has little, tiny little ankles and she's wearing a skirt and she's got this red ochre-like menstrual blood.
3: Uh-huh. And,
1: you know, the, and I know, I was in Malta. I, I heard the academics say those Maltese- Goddesses, which we refer to as the fat ladies, I've heard them say those were sumo wrestlers that they you know that those were not female what? figurines, yeah, oh. yeah, absolutely, and um, I just wonder, is it getting any better in um in archaeology in academia, you know or is it still as you know patriarchal as ever
4: well, there's some slight progress in. I think the Louvre in Paris changed some of the labels under statues. They would always just say female figure, and now some of them actually say priestess. (laughs) Wow. That was a big victory. (laughs) I I um, remember
1: that. Um, I I remember that because you'd go in the British Museum, and things were more marked as you would expect them to be marked. But that's true. In the Louvre, there did seem to be a prejudice.
4: mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's changing slightly, but really... Um, I, if people are interested in what's happened in archaeology with uh, the person who changed the whole field drawing attention to the pre-patriarchal cultures, and it wasn't patriarchal all, patriarchy all the way down, that the earliest cultures in the early Neolithic were quite different. That was, of course, the great archaeologist Maria Gimbutas. And um, on the website for the Institute of Archaeomythology, they have a journal of archaeomythology, an online journal, and I wrote an article there about the politics of science and the case about Maria Gambutis, what happened to her, because there was a big uh, attack on her work uh, led by this patriarchal figure and then joined in by women who wanted to, you know, be on the winning side. Some women joined in, and it's really hair raising. And it really undercuts all their claims about, oh, science is so rational. It's just the facts and figures. I mean, the politics of what happened to this scholar from being at the very top of her field, and now she's not mentioned books. Her books have been taken out of the libraries in certain German universities all because other people can just misrepresent what she said and then claim later, oh, I I believe these cultures were neither matriarchal or patriarchal. I noticed the graves are egalitarian. That's exactly what Maria Gimbutas wrote. So wow. the fact that they can push the woman aside and then kind of claim what she discovered decades before as some fresh insight, it's utterly astounding. So an articles in the Journal of Archaeomythology,
1: so where where can we find your article? Say again, Charlene. Um,
4: it, it's the Journal of Archaeomythology is at the website of the Institute of Archaeomythology, which okay. is um, Joan Marler's the founder and president. And my article is Maria Gimbutas and the Politics of Science. I think I can't quite remember how it ended up.
1: Yeah, but Joan, is Char- in... if
4: you look for an article by Charlene Spratnack, that will come up in in the journal.
1: Yeah, uh, Joan is in the anthology too, uh, but she's right. not talking about Maria. Uh, she's still she's talking about gossips, gorgons, and crones.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, let's, I saw that. Um, um, let me ask you. Um, you know, I I was actually denied um, giving a talk uh, for an to an academic group here in Los Angeles because they said, "Oh yeah, we looked at your website and you support that Maria Gimbutas woman's work." Oh my um, gosh!
4: That's what yeah. I mean—a complete, a complete trashing of her. That's wiped her off the field.
1: Well, you know what oh, I said you, to you them. You know, I really
4: wish really you would refer those people to this article so they could just see what they've been suckered into. It's outright. All right, I
1: I, I, I will. Well, well, you know what my comeback was. I said, well. You know, I happen to think that I'm part of the cognitive minority. You know, like the scientists who were trying to tell the Vatican that the world wasn't flat? You'll come <laughs> around. <laughs>
4: yeah. That was, uh, know, that it's was the whole my... Thing, the amazing thing in that attack on a Reagan Buddhist was you think that if your your findings and your observations are published in black and white in a book that... People might disagree with it, they might agree with it, there might be some debate, you know. But even after you die, there's a record of it right there for what you said. But in her case, they just make up this description of what she said that's not in her book at all.
0: Right. And so, right. and
4: you know, the way scholarship has become so sloppy, people don't go back to the original source. They just trust the secondary source, which is trashing her. Right, so right. So it just snowballed like that, and most of the people who trash her have never looked at her books.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, they're just sort of going along. Well, you know, it reminds me of, you know, I, I always, you know, talk about here about women complicit in their own oppression, you know, and it reminds me of, you know, like the Sarah Palin types, you know, these women who support the patriarchy, even though it's not in the best interest of women, because maybe for some reason they're benefiting from it, you know, I can, I would imagine, I mean, I'm not in academia, I don't think I could have conformed enough to be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I I imagine that you know so that they you know d- don't lose their tenure they have to play along. I mean, is 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 that the excuse? You know, if if they well, want to yeah, keep their job. Well, yeah, that's definitely
4: a factor. That's definitely a factor. It's it's a factor in why all the talk about a, an, a feminist analysis of patriarchal culture got replaced by oh the gender system. We won't use the word patriarchal anymore. Because the men who are hiring women and maybe promoting them, they don't like to hear the word patriarchal. So we'll call it the gender system, which, by the yeah. way, how is it going to be patriarchal? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it. you would think
1: we would grow up enough... To be able to face the facts. But, um, you know, we still have to sugarcoat everything. Um, I, I mean, because look, there's young women now, uh, I mean, there were these articles on the internet, not just young women, but there were articles on the internet, the reason why feminism was you know, uh, not something young women necessarily wanted to be associated with because they thought it was divisive. They equated it with hating men. I mean, right. a- again, you know, they don't really know what they're talking about, and they're exactly. sort of just being sucked into the... They get,
4: they get, yeah, taken in by by the people who are describing it in a very ridiculous, exaggerated, negative way.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um I was uh, oh yeah my final question for you and I will let you go and I don't know if there is an answer for this but I if I'm sure if there is one you will probably know for someone who's not an academic who is not talking to somebody in academia but wants to um, bolster Maria Gimbutas' work, support Maria Gimbutas' work, if you come up against someone who says, oh, yeah, I, I heard her, she's been discredited, what is the easiest way to counter that? What do you say?
4: You know, it's such a complicated story. They they really need to read the article because okay. she, she pioneered five different areas. She was such an incredible scholar. She changed the whole field of Indo-European studies. And the trashing first started out with this one man who had a different theory about how language came in. And it didn't fit any of the evidence, but he was very powerful at Cambridge University. And so he started this whole thing against her. And people who wanted to get grants from him jumped on. But, um, you know, she all the evidence is still there. That these Indo-European migrations came into Europe and the grave suddenly changed. They can't. They can't undo that. They can't throw that out the window just because right. they don't want to talk about it. Right. So you know she noticed this huge cultural shift when these Indo-European migrations came into what she calls Old Europe, southeastern Europe. And they can say, oh, well, no, we don't think that's the way Indo-European language came in. We think it came in uh, with farmers coming up from Turkey. Well, then why did the grave suddenly change to being a chieftain system? Instead of egalitarian graves in the old system, suddenly a barrow grave with the chief buried in the middle and all his horses and retainers and valuable property put in there and a patriarchal social system and a sky god and, and the adoration of warfare and weapons. All that changes. It wasn't because farmers came up from Turkey. Right. <laughs> right. Because right. these Indo-European, you know, uh, patriarchal nomads and nomadic cultures usually are very patriarchal, came into southeastern Europe. So that evidence is still there. And when the people who don't know anything say, "Oh, I think I think she claimed it was all a perfect goddess society," a- and I think she claimed uh, she didn't. She she said this was neither matriarchal or patriarchal. It was something very different. But clearly, the women had a place of honor, you can see from the artifacts. Right. Um, So, the evidence she was talking about is still there. And it's just a matter of people misrepresenting. If you ask them, why do you think she's been. What are are the grounds on which you think she's been discredited? That's a very interesting question to ask.
1: Because they probably don't know. They're just. They don't know. Yeah.
4: It's just. So,
1: yeah, they're they're ridiculous. parroting the propaganda.
4: <laughs> it is prop It absolutely was propaganda. You know, this guy yeah. would show cartoon figures in his slides. Oh, here come the barbarian invaders coming to Europe, like Imbuda says, ha ha ha. Well, these migrations did come in. You know, well all the migrations instead of invasions, if you want, but they happened. There's so much evidence that they happened.
1: Um, The woman from Germany, Heidi Abendroth, I know she's got three names and I can't remember. I remember she talked about how in Germany they wouldn't even let her speak about this. And I don't know, Charlene, you may have a different opinion and and but it almost feels like it goes it goes to why patriarchy will allow women to have Mary or some docile goddess who uh isn't going to threaten them, but it feels like it this is all sort of a strategy, whether it's conscious or unconscious to you know, n- not be willing to explore anything different, to keep the status quo I- exactly like it is. And not, uh, you know, it- it's people who aren't interested, really, in equality, I think.
4: Oh, yeah, definitely. And and also just to, for a lot of men, it's just uh, unbearable that there is a great woman at the top of their field. They couldn't stand yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: But yeah, there's so many absolutely. women got suckered in to these descriptions, which are not at all what she said.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, you know, if, if, I, I vision that when Hillary starts running for president, we are gonna just like we saw racism, like we have never imagined, still existed in this country. I think we're gonna see sexism, like we have never. Uh, imagined uh you know i i think we should all just brace ourselves because it's coming uh you know it it's it's just so threatening to some men and it is such a shame uh but you know what they they have to evolve or die <laughs> and <laughs> well, and
4: certainly, and i I say has been revealed in the past couple of years of just shocking things that have been said and done i you never thought you would have seen that again.
1: Yeah, and and I almost feel like all of, you know, the light has to be shed on all of this so that the ugliness can't continue to be swept beneath the rug, you know. I, yeah. I, I think this has all come into light for a reason, and it's so, you know, people have to wake up, you know. I, I, think, uh, I think it's all part of the, the cosmic strategy.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, women do have to realize how intense the feelings are against women having... Rights and dignity and equality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in these commercials that these Republican women are putting out, saying stuff like, well, women don't really care if there's a minimum wage. Women don't really care if uh, they don't make what men make. I mean, how do they, where do they find these women? I I guess they paid them a lot. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Well, as
4: Andrea Dworkin wrote about decades ago, the Christian right really scares women and the right in general. You know, you won't be protected. You'll be out on the street with your children. Yeah. So uh, there's quite a bit of fear-mongering that goes into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Charlene, thank you so much. Um, You know, thank you for being on the show tonight and for your past uh, you know uh, times you've been on the show listeners uh, please go look in the archives we've had conversations before and thank you all again for being in uh in the anthology as well uh you know oh, yeah. i i really i really appreciate it i hope you got your book did it arrive i did yes.
4: i did i'm reading it
1: Good, really good, mm-hmm. good. Well, thank you, thank you for your participation. You know, here on the show and uh, also in the anthology, and uh, you know, no doubt we will cross paths again down the road.
4: Right. Okay, great.
1: Well, thank you, Charlene. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed uh, tonight's first installment of uh, Feminist Fairy Tales and Goddess Mythology Month. Uh, next week, um, Barbara Walker will be with us, and the following week we will have Merlin Stone's partner um, with us uh, you know, to talk about uh, her work as well. And I hope you'll take to heart some of the stuff we talked about tonight and uh, really go back and look at the myths, look at the feminist fairy tales. Uh, don't be afraid to rewrite our stories. Okay. So, um as uh, as we come to a close tonight, um I just had a few more things I wanted to share with you. Um uh, what's coming up for me real soon? Well, uh, the book launch party is over, and uh, but this Saturday I have a presentation in Westlake Village at the Center for Spiritual Living on October 4th called Founding Mothers, Unearthing Our Rich Female Legacy. And then the following Sunday, uh, October 5th, I'm at Pagan Pride Day in Rainbow Lagoon in Long Beach discussing the need for us to claim and tell our new stories, just like we were doing uh, here tonight. Uh, then, the following Columbus Day weekend, I'm up at ISIS Oasis for the Fellowship of ISIS Convocation. And I'm going to be giving a presentation on Saturday night on the importance of adopting a goddess mythology and spirituality for a more sustainable future. Then, a bit further out, I've been talking about this on and off on the show, but the sacred tour to Turkey, scheduled for May 2015. Yes, uh, it is, uh, you know, it is. Out there now, we have a website. Uh, you can go on my Facebook page, uh, uh, or you can go to uh, Nabila Tours, N-A-B-I-L-A Tours. They are our tour operator. Uh, but probably the easiest thing to do is uh, go to Karen Tate Facebook page, and uh, there are some links there. There's a Facebook event set up for it, uh, I will be leading a tour uh, to Anatolia, as Turkey was once called, which meant Land of the Nourishing Mothers. Uh, I'll be leading it with Dr. James Riedfeld. And uh, you can find the itinerary and the price and all the terms. Uh, we're going to be going, uh, leaving May 23rd for 16 days. And the tour is for women and men. And you know what? I am sure it will be something you will cherish Uh, for the rest of your life. So until next week, uh, dear listeners, uh, let me leave you with um, something nice. Since we're coming upon uh, the season of Samhain and Hollows, How About This by Abigail Spinner McBride called Pass Through the Portal. Uh, Enjoy it, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation tonight.
3: At this time of Samhain, when the veils between the worlds are thin, through the power of one mind, with the pure love of one heart, we open a portal to the other side. We peel back the veil and we call to those of our ancestors and beloved dead who would like to experience this time of magic with us. We invite them to be fully present in this sacred space, to see through our eyes, to move through our bodies, to speak through our words and to dance in this space with us until we close our circle when they will return across the great divide. We welcome the ancestors. Blessed be Through the portal, go through the gate, enter and be reborn. Pass through the portal, go through the gate, enter and be reborn. Pass through the portal, go through the gate, enter and be reborn. Pass through the portal, go through the gate. And be reborn. That which is remembered never dies. That which is remembered never dies. That which is remembered never dies. That which is
0: remembered never dies. That which is remembered never dies. Path that which is remembered. Is through the portal, never die. That which is remembered be never done.
3: Through the portal go through the gate, enter and be reborn, pass through the portal, go through the gate, enter and be reborn, enter and be reborn, enter